Hello and welcome to the all new different game football analytics podcast. I'm Paul Riley at Football Fact Man on Twitter, and as usual, I'm joined by my pal Richie Shepherd at the Ginger Piglet. Hello, Richie. Morning, Paul. Are you raring to go, lad? Well, it's rare we do a morning stint, but yeah, let's go for it. So, the new show format is to talk about three subjects for ten minutes each. We'll be using data models and our eyes to assess what's going on, on and off the pitch at Premier League football clubs. That's right, folks, we have all the numbers, but we actually watch the games too. Apart from this week, Richie, (laughs) I've watched next to nothing this week. So we're going to do a few different kinds of topics today. Sure. First up, we're going to have a look at keepers and shot-stopping rankings. Then we're going to go to expected goals from corners. And then we're going to look at building a passing model from the data. Are you excited? Well, yeah, it's a um, bit of education for me. I'm sure I'll have, pl- I'll have plenty of questions. <laughs> Great. Really looking forward to this episode. <laughs> Question one about shot-stoppers. Who has been the best keeper for you this season so far? It's not Lloris, and it's definitely not Roberto. (laughs) (laughs) And it's definitely not Pickford. You're struggling, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's been... I don't think we've seen a real standout, have we, this year? Or you can tell me differently? Well, the answer in terms of shot-stopping is actually Lloris, which may surprise you. It does. But you are correct in terms of the fact that there's been no real massive standouts this year because normally the numbers show ridiculous levels for one or two keepers that always come back down to earth somewhat where they're kind of like nearly saving twice as many shots as they should at this point in the season but no one's actually anywhere near that at the minute but as I say Loris is top and I think that surprised you and it will probably surprise a lot of Tottenham fans but that is the case Schmeichel is second Dean Henderson is third in the shot-stopping rankings at the moment. Any of those grab you? Well, I mean, looking at the three teams you've mentioned there, obviously Lloris hasn't played for a while, so he's probably got a smaller sample, but uh, Henderson and uh, Schmeichel seem to play in teams that seem to be quite well organised defensively. I don't know, does that mean that they're not getting, um, not conceding big chances? They're kind of in the middle, really, in terms of how hard the shots that they're facing come in. They're not saving dead easy ones, and they're not saving dead hard ones. They're kind of middle of the road. But just to give a quick explainer for people in terms of what we're actually measuring here. So the rankings are based on, obviously, shots on target and the distance and angle of those shots from the goal, whether they're a header or a shot, whether it's from a set-piece situation or open play and that kind of thing. So it's all kind of taken into account, really, anyway. So that that kind of shot quality, and you obviously you'll get rewarded for making bigger saves and better saves. And you'll find keepers from top teams or bottom teams or middle teams in the top rankings. It's, it's It all just comes out in the wash. Previous seasons, the top keepers always finish on a rating of, say, 1.3, 1.4 at the top. You see, Loris is only 1.5 at this stage of the season. Some keepers are like over two still in terms of they've saved double the amount that they should have. So there is no real massively outstanding team at the minute. Any shockers? There are a few shockers. Kepa at Chelsea. (laughs) (laughs) Every time I mention Chelsea and something to do with defending on Twitter, I get a thousand 
Chelsea people going, Kepa's hopeless, Kepa's bad. And they're pretty much, they're right, because he was god-awful last year on the numbers in terms of the shot-stopping. He's pretty much, well, his second bottom for keepers who've faced a, a decent amount of shots this year. So he's conceded 18 goals, and the model says he should have conceded about 14 and a half. So that's three and a half goals difference. Well, what are we, a third of the way through the season? So by the end of it, if a good performance is is going, a good or bad performance even, is going to be like plus 10 goals at either end of the spectrum, sometimes even more. So it is really, really important the way keepers affect seasons. I think it's one of my favourite things about football analytics is how much at both ends it really is the business end. You are a frustrated goalkeeper. I am a frustrated goalkeeper, but... So this previous, second to last season, De Gea finished on 161, 1.61. Saved, like, United a dozen goals. Is that where, is that where United finished second, wasn't it? Yeah. So his performance was enough to propel them right, right up there. And that's the highest performance on record of the last few years that we've got. So it's it's... In statistical terms, it's it's kind of like having a Suarez going nuts at Liverpool season for a goalkeeper. So yeah. we're kind of that kind of levels that it really can affect your results. So the last couple of years, Schmeichel hasn't been good, but when Leicester won the league, he was a standout statistically. And as we said just a bit before, he's doing well again this year. So in goalkeeper numbers, the main criticism of them is they're kind of up and down for most goalkeepers. Like it's impossible almost to keep a steady performance year to year to year to year, and there's only a few, a handful of keepers that actually do that. Do you want to take a guess of who they are? I'm trying to think who's been around a decent amount of time. Um, we'll just say even over he- the last few years. Heaton. Heaton has been good until this last year. Most consistent ones are your mate Fabianski. Yeah. Dubravka at Newcastle. So they're never massively, massively outstanding, but they're consistently above average. Um, Sound like keepers, they're getting a lot of shots. <laughs> they are, but then you've also got De Gea in the mix, who sometimes does, sometimes doesn't. He's actually having his worst season for a while this year, which <laughs> might give you some indication of um, United this year, and he's not saving them. You say it's the same as the, or you didn't say, I presume it's the same as the XG model, but it's only taking into account shots on target, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I think when people see defensive numbers on Twitter and it's XG, I think people kind of get mixed up between the two, so it's a good point to raise, actually. So when you're looking at keeper numbers, my model specifically is shots on target because the keeper's not responsible for, you know, 500 shots and 250 of them might be blocked and he never even gets to save them anyway. Just take all that rubbish out and you're you're left with the basic one-on-one situation of this is a shot, it's on target, he's got to do something about it and save it. So a team like Burnley is sort of notorious for throwing bodies on the line and, and blocking shots. They are. They're just ripped out. They're, they're not included. Yes. Okay. Right, Loris is the other guy that I wanted to have a, a chat about as well. So, back in the day, do you remember when sweeper-keeping was all the rage, Richie? It still is, isn't it? Mm, I think what they call sweeper-keeping now... I think Is the norm. <laughs> no, it's, I see. It's an interesting 
think actually because lots of the keepers get um, involved in build up like in possession of the ball now and they're high because they're they're starting moves or whatever but in terms of rushing out in terms of say a Manuel Neuer style that we saw five six years ago when he was good yep. rushing out heading the ball away like 30 40 yards from goal doing Cruyff turns past people I think those days have largely gone I don't really see many keepers doing that anymore um, and Loris was one of the ones who used to do that quite a lot and because of that his his, his rankings on this shot stopping stuff was bad because he'd often be well well out of position so people were finishing shots against him from like the edge of the box uh, and there was no one in goal because he was he'd gone a wall so in a normal average situation those shots would be you know they'd have a group of defenders in front and you would expect him to be saving them whereas in these abnormal situations where he was nowhere to be seen it was an open goal from 18 yards which you don't see everywhere else. so it, historically he was always terrible on these shot stopping rankings but ever since Pochettino got in charge he's clearly been ordered to stay on his line instead of doing that and he's been pretty pretty good ever since I think he's a better keeper than people think I think because when he does make a mistake it's sometimes a biggie people remember him and they kind of apply that blanket when it's it's not really the case. That's fair. I mean, I, I he does like a Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Other thing I want people to go and have a look at is last year for Statsbomb, I did an interview with the Swedish national goalkeeping coach in terms of how to apply this kind of stuff to training. So people, I'm going to send a link out for that. They can go and have a look. It's quite interesting. Do you remember? Did you ever read that one? I did, yes. Did you like it? Can't remember. I, re- I read everything you do, Paul. <laughs> and sometimes I comment, and sometimes I don't. Yeah, it was it was interesting. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So go and have a look at that, people. Is that ten minutes worth? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next topic, Richie, XG from corners. So this is one that you threw at me. Yeah, so my m- thinking is, mm. um, you know, people talk about, and I hear um, the Statsbomb guys, obviously I know they're talking for business when they talk about this, but, you know, how they can make a difference to a team's position. I've never seen anyone sort of put it into numbers exactly how many goals a, a season this could make difference and, and who the, the best teams are out there or seem to have some sort of... Um, some sort of work in progress yeah so when we discussed doing like the xg 101 numbers that we were looking at in the pod in the first opening weeks you basically essentially picked out a flaw if you like in my models in terms of before purely through laziness really i was applying your standard xg to all situations so like at corners and free kicks and basically xg you can't apply open play expected goals models to set plays because essentially it's a different game. It doesn't work. We talked the other week about wheeling someone on and off for set pieces like NFL style. Yeah. And that really is the case. 
Is that because the mo- the model can't take out all the bodies in the way, or? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't really account for this the situation. So obviously, it's set pieces. It's everyone's settled down. There's huge numbers of bodies in the box. The other difference, I was I was trying to think of the other differences, and I suppose at free kicks and corners, you get a lot of fouls that the referee never gives. Yeah. So there's loads of shirt pulling, pushing mugging about people harassing the goalkeeper so the numbers really are completely different so i went away and made my model better just because of you richie oh thanks mate so i've been doing this for many years and couldn't be bothered doing it because it was a bit too much like hard work yeah (laughs) (laughs) and actually it didn't take me that long so let's have a look at some numbers so i had a look at conversion rates richie between open play and set plays, corners, that kind of thing. So obviously we talked a few weeks ago about best places to shoot from, centre of the goal, as close as you can. So on set pieces, dead central to goal is still the likeliest place to bury a header from a corner, but there is a sweet spot, Richie, and that sweet spot is at the edge of the six-yard box. Conversion in open play and set pieces is more or less exactly the same, and that is the only spot... If you draw a line out from the middle of the goal out to the edge of the penalty area, everywhere, conversion in open play is way, way higher, apart from this sweet spot, six yards out. Does that surprise you that there's a sweet spot? Um, yeah, it does, but just trying to think about it. I mean, if it's a through ball or a cutback, then they're probably going to be using your feet. Otherwise, it's going to be a cross that's... If it's in the six-yard area, you'd like to think the keeper... It's almost like a, a barrier, you know, he's got to take everything in the six-yard box. So once they get to that, that six-yard line, mm. is the keeper... Is, you know, are, are all keepers coming? Are they not for you know for crosses and the like? So if it's going for headers. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably a little bit surprising, but I can see maybe why that could be the case. Yeah, that's interesting looking at the reasons because I haven't had time to think about that. But it's the study area that you could you could have a real good think about why that would be the case and also there is a small corridor seven to eight yards out say in line with the goalposts. yeah where the conversion again is more in line with open play numbers this is where say Virgil scored a couple of belting headers against Brighton this week the second one from the corner we're kind of looking at that area so if you want to go and have a look kids and I'll I'll throw some visits out there as well but it's that kind of area and United used to do it week in week out under Fergie when Van Persie was there so if he was taking an in-swinging corner he would deliver it to that little corridor and you get those diagonal runs and Rooney got even Rooney someone as short as Rooney was getting loads of you know flick headers into the opposite side of the corner what I remember from from United um, is it seemed to be that sort of distance but front post yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Relentlessly. And then kind of Moyes came in, stopped Van Persie taking corners. <laughs> yeah, I never <laughs> And the goal's gone. <laughs> so it's like TV pundit heaven. So centre forward shouldn't be taking corners. Nonsense. If they're as good as Van Persie was at taking corners, they should be taking corners. Yeah. Um, so to- the set pieces are, as we've said, the numbers show that it's totally different from open play. So that whole centre forwards should be getting onto this, that and the other and not taking corners rubbish, you should just do what works so if a team gets a corner pull, what's the likelihood of them scoring? 
And what's the difference between the best and the worst teams? Minimal. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. Again, you've undone me with the numbers. So, if the corner actually connects and you get a header off from a corner straight away, there's about an 8% chance. But obviously, loads of corners never even make it there. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, what I'm thinking is if a team gets six corners in a game, what's what should oh, be right. their expected number of goals in okay. the game? I don't know is the answer to that. <laughs> of course. I'm here to test you and you stretch are, you. And... <laughs> Make me look daft. Annoy you. Not hard. <laughs> not, not, not at all. It's a stat that's always touted out how many, how many corners a team have. And it's, I suppose it is a sense of superiority. But if a team is bad at corners, you know... I'll tell you what's an easy way of what doing is, what it. Is actually, what does it actually amount to? Yeah. It's, it, aren't there, for the betting stuff, there's tons of sites that carry corner stats, isn't there? Does corner stats still exist? Uh, yes, I believe so. So you could just... I could probably just go on there and pick up the numbers fairly easily. It tells you how many corners teams have had and how many they, they've scored. So just do a quick division of them. I'll do that later and put it on Twitter. Cool. Good teams from corners. Have you picked up? We've watched quite a few games this year, Richie, in the last month or so. In the, last, in the last couple of years, I quite liked, but probably too intricate for you, Bournemouth. <laughs> they seem to, seem to do something different. Sheffield United seem to get a couple of couple of corners I've seen that have been quite interesting seem to get um, someone isolated. Mm. I've been quite impressed with some of theirs, but they're, they're probably the two. But I say Bournemouth probably too intricate, and they seem to be getting a shooting chance rather than a, a headed chance, which I suppose is, is better in the long term. But a lot seems to need to happen for them to come off. Yeah, well, Bournemouth actually on my list, Richard, it's almost like you've seen these notes, and it's probably the first time you haven't seen them. So, <laughs> so we're not cheating, I don't think. Unless you saw my tweet last night. Did you see my tweet last night? I did see your tweet, but I was like, ah, oh, that's, the, that's the one that's thing the... I think I can bring to the table. <laughs> <laughs> and you've tweeted, it's like, you've you read my mind. Yeah, so Bournemouth are good on the numbers with corners this year. I know for a fact they had an analyst specifically looking at it for the last few years. So it makes sense that they would be good because they're definitely having staff input into that. West Ham are decent on corners this year, Richie. Does that surprise you? Like, this deliver- is one of the if, things if, that Balbuena is actually good at. If the, the delivery is good, then if you put it in the right area enough times, then then fair play. And being a crossing team, which I consider West Ham to be, then yes. Who takes the corners? Is it like a mixture of Anderson and Snodgrass? Snodgrass, yeah, and he, he gets some lovely whip uh, Snodgrass when he takes them. So... I had a look on another thing you can take a look at, guys, online is my Tableau shot map. I'll put that out on Twitter as well so you can have a look. West Ham and Bournemouth deliver to that very area that we were talking about, Richie, that kind of near post, yep. just outside the six-yard box area. And I was thinking, I watched a few of the Bournemouth set plays, and you're right in terms of they're not necessarily scoring direct from headers there, but... What happens if you get you, you flick wrong, I suppose, is the angle is better. It actually stays in play and it flashes across the face of goal. And often you can stick a leg out and get a knock-in as well. Yeah. So whereas if you say you're delivering to an Everton do this loads, delivering to the penalty spot on an outswinger, you're running at the ball straight and it's, it's going to be either a soft header that goes straight or a firm header that just goes miles over. Whereas if you do this flicky thing, you've always got the chance of flashing it across goal, as I was saying, and 
Bournemouth have, have done that a few times this season. Most notably against Everton, Richie. On to Everton. They have the worst conversion rate of corners in terms of expected goals to goals in the league. And that is because they're delivering it out to that penalty spot all the time. In Mina, wins absolutely everything. But from that distance, even if you get it on target, keeper's got a decent chance because of the amount of time you've got to react to it. So Everton are fully outswingers? Pretty a much. Lot of, a lot of outswingers. Lots of outswingers, which again... I think the numbers will tell you is a bad strategy. I mean, so remember reading um, Ted at Statsbomb was, yeah. was talking about this and he wanted to fix Man City because they was playing out swingers and then suddenly went to in swingers and I felt like he'd, uh, he missed a client. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but definitely the numbers show in swingers is best. Short corners are probably better than out swingers as well, to be honest. Why do you why do you think that is? Well, it's just it shifts it shifts the dynamic of that. If you're just swinging an out swinger in you're automatically the natural curve of the ball takes it further away from goal for when you're heading it if you take a short corner it shifts up the defense everyone has to move around a bit um it gives a few extra seconds of people to make their runs in in the box and the defense have to react to it so it causes a bit of chaos pulls defenders out all over the shop doesn't it yeah the other team who do well this season are burnley so they don't deliver to that area, Richie. They basically drop bombs right on top of the keeper while someone basically pins him down and fouls him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fear factor, isn't it? It's coming right into you, right down your throat. This is coming, and yeah. we're going to come and steam you. <laughs> yeah, so they kind of... They don't, they don't play the numbers. They play the referee, really. Yeah. Um, yeah, so everything, If I'll send the map out for this, but it's really funny to see like Burnley where they deliver their corners to. So they're able to deliver corners into that six-yard box, and because they impede the keeper so much, they're still winning so many headers that other teams just don't get onto because the keeper will come and sweep it up. So obviously they've found the best way to impede the keeper and stop him coming to get anything. So that's something interesting to have a look at. This is yeah. the best thing about this episode, Richie. There's tons of stuff that people can go away and have a look at, should they see fit. Send them all the references, then. I get, will. Get them there. Palace have let up nearly six goals, XG-wise, at corners already. We're a third of the way through the season. The biggest amount I can find over the last few years is 12 for the whole season. And they're at six already, which I was quite astounded at. So they could be on for a record of how bad they are at conceding chances at corners. And I would have said Palace were a big side. Yeah, bit weird. So I'm going to go away and have a look at some video on that. And I think a quick stat, if my stats are right, neither Liverpool nor Leicester have yet conceded from a corner. So that needs to be righted tonight, Richie. Why were Leicester playing? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last subject... If I can remember what it was. Yes, it's building a passing model. So, another one of your questions for me, Richard. Why did you want to have a look at this? Well, we've we've spoken before and, you know, we've tried to look at players and maybe um, identify the next Iniesta, the next Javi, the next, you know, Messi in terms of his passing, those sort of players. And obviously that's aspirational thinking. But, you know, how do you do this from the numbers? You know, you've sent me the numbers and I've, I've played about with them, but... I'd, I didn't really know where I was going. (laughs) (laughs) Good question. So I was listening to Talk Sport yesterday morning. You you should be banned. 
I should be banned from listening to it. Talk shite. Yes. Always make the kids butties every morning. Uh, I was going to say, always make the kids listen to it. <laughs> no, I make the kids sandwiches every morning for school, and it's always, I switch it on for a bit of a laugh, and good old, I think it was Danny Mills was on, but he was going on about recruitment, and people don't do their due diligence these days, and all other nonsense that was laughable. But he talks about Moneyball and using stats, and he said, people buying players because they've got 95% pass completion and he's talking about whether you you know how many of these passes are forward and all this stuff and that's exactly what the expected passing model is all about Richie so how I do it or how I've done it basically the pitch is gridded out so when you get the data pitch is basically coordinated out like it's a game of battleships if you like so it's 100 by 100 pitch. Fabregas D4 to E5. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is good. That is a really good analogy, actually. And I was just taking the piss. No. So that is essentially what it is. So every single kind of pass, say the pitch has been divided up into 100 squares of 100, like yard by yard or whatever. It's from that spot on the pitch to that spot on the pitch. And obviously there's hundreds of passes a game thousands of passes a season if you add that all up we've basically got a model with millions of passes in it from all the big leagues around the world from the last five to ten years yeah so there's a huge sample size to play with it's basically how likely is a pass from a to b on the pitch how often does that get completed and then you just compare everybody's passes to those averages for every spot on the pitch does that make sense it does yeah so if we're looking at, say, a defender playing it along the line, back line to another defender, another centre-half, across the front of their own box. 99 times out of 100, those passes get completed. So if a defender makes one of those passes, barely get rewarded with anything because they're expected to pass that successfully. Does that make sense? Yep. yep. So, But if a centre-half was pinging it 70 yards across from the edge of his own box, diagonally to the touchline, and he completes that pass, then say that the success rate for that on average would be 20% and you ping it then you get a big reward for that because you've completed a pass that not many people do and so on do your models highlight players who are re- sorry I'm trying to think the best pass in, in your model would they be those that take riskier passes but are better at it to an extent yes what's really important with this is comparing like for like so it's pointless comparing a say a goalkeeper to a central midfielder goalkeepers who go long and are successful at it tend to get rewarded really well so in, so the likes of Pope and people who play for Burnley because they've got a set of grocks up front that are going to win a lot of headers they get rewarded for it so you'd, you'd have to almost like the set piece stuff in terms of expected goals it's it's they need their own model if you like and so it's best to compare you know, if you've want, got central defensive midfielders, you compare them in a block together. If you've got wide attackers, they've all got their own profile, so you'd compare them together. Centre forwards, again, you'd have to compare them together because, you know, a lot of passes that centre forwards make are when they've picked the ball up in the channels and they're just laying it off back. So it's, it's, it's really important to compare like for like and not just look at one single number, say, this guy's great, this guy's bad, because everyone's fulfilling a different role so i set up my spreadsheet for you if you want to give me a type of player 
I want to see someone like a, a what I would class as a ten. Maybe maybe not done play as high as that, uh, but yeah, a, a sort of creative midfielder, someone in the sort of Christian Eriksen mould. It's a bad one to compare to this year because he's barely bloody played. <laughs> James, James Madison will be the next one. Right, let's do James Madison. It'll be easier. Right, so James Madison in, in a 10-ish role. So similar players on my passing stuff this season are coming up as Juan Mata, four nows at West Ham, Sigurdsson. Ooh. Yeah. Sigurdsson's up at the bottom of this list, so don't worry about that. James Madison is better than Sigurdsson on my team. <laughs> Raul Jimenez at Wolves. So those kind of players... Isn't Jimenez a centre-forward? He is, but we discussed this before in terms of where the areas that they do their business in because Wolves are quite a get-bodies-behind-the-ball team and the forwards come to receive quite a lot. He, he plays the through ball to himself. <laughs> well, yes. Connor Hurahen at Aston Villa, actually. So all these guys are kind of doing the same kind of things. Um, Juan Mata is still better at passing than James Madison. Controversial? Um, didn't know Juan Mata still played. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's played a few games. He's, he, Juan Mata's played 173 open play passes this season, Richie. Exactly. Getting in the same areas as Madison. Does the, the names come up? Do they sound like the right sort of names? I would have said Sigerson feels like he plays more like a second striker. Mm. But... You could see him taking up a lot of the same position, sort of between the midfield and the defence of the opposition, yeah. to receive the ball well, or get on the ball to play them passes. Well, yeah. Interestingly enough, so Madison has played six hundred and odd passes in open play. Sigurdsson, guess how many? Four. <laughs> Nearly three hundred. So you yeah. can tell the type of different roles they're playing. Yeah. I mean, when they do get in, do get on the ball, they're getting on it in similar positions but someone like Madison is twice as involved as Sigurdsson is which we don't want to keep going on about that's the reason why I hate Sigurdsson as a 10 because his movement to receive the ball is absolutely atrocious and that's why he looks like he goes missing during a game and why Madison looks like one of the best young players of that ilk in the league is because he's basically showing for the ball twice as much and getting on it twice as much any other players that we can do a quick sneak at? Trent Alexander-Arnold. Right, so let's have a look at fullbacks. Fullbacks are a good one. Right, so Trent, you suggest that he's a good passer, yes? Yes. And that is based on? What I see in my eyes, the chances that he uh, creates with his passing. Okay, so... The con- consistency of his delivery. So a lot of the players that are coming up, Richie, aren't even fullbacks. You've got wide players here. If I sort for a few areas of the pitch that Trent does his business in, that sounds bad, doesn't it? Um, Zinchenko at City comes up, and Zinchenko at City pops up on top of the pile. Way better pass completion. But the reason is Trent doesn't do so well because he's he's basically playing more difficult passes than any yeah, other fullback. K- k- killer balls. Yes. So someone like Zinchenko who plays fullback. The balls he plays are likely to be completed 84% of the time. Trent, down to 71% of the time. Smashing it into the box from wide areas into the middle of the box 16% of the time. If you compare that to Walker at City, when he plays, 7%. So he's 
basically playing riskier balls constantly, constantly, constantly. So you're, you're basically having to compare Trent and what he does with a winger, if you like. So if you try and compare him to other fullbacks, it doesn't work because they're just playing a totally different game to each other. Yeah, it's cool. And that, that comes up on the numbers. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does, yeah. So what you're saying is comparing like for like isn't necessarily, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> a formational thing. No. It's it's what they're required to do. So two centre-halves, you know, could could well be quite different in terms of what their, their, their remit is yeah. uh, at different clubs. So even... As you, yeah, that's pretty much nail on the head stuff. You know, if you was looking at players to play in a certain way, you can use the data maybe to direct you towards a certain player. You'd probably have to look at teams that are playing a style that you'd like if you wanted to, to pick those out. Yeah. Um, but you can definitely maybe get to where you need to. So we can we can use this and we can pick out good passers that from, from a young age that hopefully will be potential superstars. Yeah. So if... Um, I've just filtered it down into more pitch areas and the kind of fullbacks that he's nearest to in terms of style are people like Dean at Everton, West Ham's fullbacks who go quite high or have been quite high this season and he's doing he's making far harder passes constantly than all of those. And all of those guys literally spend all the game bombing the ball if they're not, you know, coming inside it's going in the box and yeah. he's he's picking out passes to various places that are harder even than those guys and does he come out the best no well his numbers don't look great on that because of that that role that he's playing so he's below average on his passing but you can the numbers let you mitigate that for the fact that he's being far far riskier than anyone else it's similar De Bruyne is the same on this so on these measures De Bruyne doesn't come up as well as say David Silva but De Bruyne is playing vertical balls all left right and centre and there's literally no other player to compare this guy to because he's doing things in area of the pitch that no one else does yeah and just by the fact that they're doing those kind of things it stands out on the numbers even if it's you're not comparing it to a generic player so even in that it's useful is that a good point to end? Yes, I think so. Good. Well, I hope that's been an interesting morning for you and for our listeners. And I shall see you next week, Richie. Catch you then, Paul. Bye-bye. Bye, mate.